Welcome back to the second episode of the Replacement Level podcast. Matt is back. Matt, what's going on? Yeah, you know, I'm happy to be back. You know, made it past the first round, so that's nice. I'm not like the New York Mets. <laughs> yeah, that was not the greatest ending for the Mets. It's definitely not the outcome that they wanted. So I'm actually pretty excited. I'm going to the, hoping to I bought tickets to go to Game 2 tomorrow night in Yankee Stadium. But weather permitting, uh, the weather does not look so nice right now. It seems to be downpour pretty much all day. So let's hope that the weather passes over or the rain just disappears. So let's hope that I can go because I haven't really been to a postseason game. So it would be nice to get to one. Have you been to a postseason game? Yeah, I've been to oh, what year is it? You're the Giants won the World Series. Granted, I'm going to take us back in the time machine before we jump in. It was Giants, Reds, and LDS. I believe they fell behind in game one, and we went to that game, and then they fell behind in game two. And as a Giants fan, I thought it was over. And then they just went on an incredible run to come back with Matt Latos getting taken deep, and I enjoyed that. So that's a good memory. It's kind of funny that you mentioned Matt Latos because I know that he suffered a pretty severe injury. And I remember going to a Jackals game two years ago, and I see he made an appearance. Uh, Jackals game where uh, they're—I wouldn't say a minor league team. I would say it's—they're not—they're not like a single A team. I think they're—I forgot what the league's called, but well, uh, not 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 really relevant. But he made an appearance in the Jackals game, and it's kind of cool because. Like, I, I recognized the name Matt Lato, so I was like, oh, I heard of that guy before. Then it was, he was in the major leagues, and now he's pitching for some league that's not really had anything to do with major leagues. So I kind of felt bad for the guy that his career was ruined by one big injury. Yeah, right. I will say, well, just speaking of injuries, because now you've, see, this is a fun thing about baseball. You, you brought up with memories, and I'll, the other thing I thought about just now, you mentioned Lato's injury, is I was at, when I visited uh, some family, went on a baseball trip, was at a Yankees-Astros game. And this is when Derek Jeter and A-Rod were still on the team. I can't remember who was on the mound for the Yankees that day, but he left with a shoulder injury, and that was a wrap on his career. Yeah, that happens to a lot of guys. Yeah, I'm seeing lately that injuries, especially for pitchers, is typically Tommy John. Like, the Yankees... Have had multiple of that, multiple Tommy John, uh, Chad Green's after the year, Michael King, he had a he had a pretty severe elbow injury this year. Patances had had Tommy John. You know, I, I, not 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 specifically the Yankees. I feel like injuries in baseball are severe, and especially if you're a pitcher and you feel a pop or something off in your arm, that's not a good sign and. It's definitely an indication of something to do with Tommy John or an elbow. So that's definitely not fun. Okay, so the ALDS has gone is underway. Um, as we speak, the Phillies and Braves battle. Kyle Wright and Zach Wheeler have been dueling. And the Dodgers and Padres just got underway. But I wanted to dial back on the wild card. 
I feel like we kind of missed that because we haven't recorded since last Wednesday. So I want to just recap that and break down each series. So let's jump right into Rays and the Guardians. So game one, kind of low scoring. Guardians, Bieber and McClanahan obviously do uh, dealt pretty well. They, pick, they pitched very efficiently. They combined for 13 strikeouts. They each pitched seven. Bieber won seven and two-thirds. And the story of the game is, was really that between Bieber and Class A, the Rays' offense did minimal damage. You know, G-Man Choi wasn't hitting. Not not specifically G-Man Choi, but they're big guys. Rosarena stayed quiet. Rondo Franco, who was expected to have a... He was expected to tear it up in his sophomore season. And he hasn't been as productive. Obviously, he suffered a few injuries which have impeded his season. But then J-Ram broke the one nothing deficit. He pimped a two-run shot in the sixth to take hold of the lead. Then it was 2-1 Guardians. And that was the wrap of game one. Game two was also a very similar a second pitching duel. So I kind of see that in the postseason, I, I like when, you know, these managers, they like to platoon their starters who don't, haven't secured, you know, a guy like Corey Kluber, who is not going to take precedence over Shane McClanahan and is most likely not going to pitch and start in one of these postseason games. But a guy like Corey Kluber, who they used in the ninth inning, and although he did allow the walk-off home run to SpongeBob Gonzalez, I'm kind of seeing this pattern that a lot of managers like to use those fourth or fifth starters in ninth innings. The Phillies have been doing a lot. Rob Thompson is doing that a lot with Zach Eflin. They used him a lot in the wild card. And then George Kirby also made an appearance in the wild card in the ninth. So I kind of like that, but at the same time, I feel that you know you got to use those guys who have prepared for those scenarios all season. You know the guys who they use for the ninth inning. So for instance, the Guardians they use Class A pretty much all year. In the ninth inning has been lights out. They did use him in, in consecutive games. He didn't allow a hit in 2.2 innings. He was lights out. So, Matt, I kind of want to hear your opinion, you know, on when managers platoon their starters. Let's say that you take the Yankees, who Boone commented that they would use Tyone, and they would kind of give him various scenarios to come into. And obviously he hasn't made an appearance yet. We're still waiting. Game two hasn't. We're not even at game two yet, but I'm kind of hoping that he appears at some point. But Matt, I kind of want to hear what you think on what starters, the, when you're the fourth starter on the team, where you kind of stand. Yeah, you know, it's such an interesting thing, especially with depending on which team we're talking about. Because with some of these teams, especially with the Phillies, you know, they're bringing back some starting pitching, pitchers late in the year who are coming back from injury. So it's like you kind of want to ease them in. But with others, it's like, hey, we have our set three guys. So we're, especially with a team like Astros, they have so much pitching. But you mentioned the Yankees with Tyone. 
And I think it's just that thing of flexibility. Because what's one thing we talked about in the very first show? It's that this is the postseason where every single out, it just comes down to these little, little details, getting everything right. You can't waste a single at bat, a single moment. So if you have that guy who, let's say your starter can only make it one in the third innings, great. Guess what? That fourth starter, it might be unconventional for him to come out of the bullpen. But, hey, he's going to give you three, four, five innings. And if we're talking about a five, especially a seven-game series, that's huge for your bullpen to be able to have that. And, again, we're talking about the versatility of this. Or you can just have a guy you know, listen, he can go through an order once, but I know I love these matchups he's going to have. And I think of all the guys in that pen, because this is October, I need to know who can I trust. And if that's a starter who I'm using as a reliever, great. I just need someone who I know can get the job done. And that's, I think, what we're seeing in New York, and we'll see it in Houston, and we're seeing it everywhere. Yeah, and for and for the Rays as well, you know, their their bullpen is endless. You know, they have so many guys who can go three, four innings. They have, you know, guys like Drew Rasmussen, again, Corey Kluber. So I'm kind of liking this, that managers are turning to that fourth and fifth guy. Um. Okay, so I wanted to just to pick a few takeaways from this series. So the Rays offensively, I think that this series kind of summed up their offensive drought the entire season. They ranked 21st on runs and 24th in OPS, 686 OPS. Obviously, injuries have impeded them all season. You know, Wander Franco, they haven't had Kevin Kiermaier. Zanino's out for the year. So, and when when those guys are out, you're pretty much end with medi- a mediocre lineup. So, it's I think it kind of sums up the fact that the Guardians, who have an explosive pitching and their bullpen is filled with guys who can throw quite hard, and they're all young. So I'm not really surprised that the Guardians shut down the Rays' offense. Again, Wander Franco or Rosarena, they went one for nine. They both went one for nine in the series. It didn't hit at all. Between the rest of the lineup, Choi stayed quiet. And I think that the Rays just didn't have it. And what they needed to do is they needed to get hits and get a base, and that's not what they did. So for the Guardians, when you look at their lineup and how young they are and how they have performed this year, I think it was kind of a given that they would come out on top. So now let's head on to the next series, Mariners and Blue Jays. Matt, give it a go. Yeah, you know, this is, first of all, I have to say, it's kind of amazing. I'm almost considered a skill that I got every single one of my wild card round predictions wrong. That's kind of incredible. So with the series, and you know, it was just, I think the one that stands out to me really is game two. Because game one, you know, it was like Mariners really jumped out. Because that's another thing we talked about in episode one. It was like, listen, the Mariners, where are they going to be able to hit those home runs? And guess what? That's exactly what that they did. It was the huge driving force in that 4-0 win. And what's the other thing I mentioned? Luis Castillo, a guy you can count on in October. He gives you seven and a third phenomenal innings. That was huge for game one. But game two is where things got wild. 
because you had Teoscar Hernandez go, go deep twice. You had Toronto take this huge lead at home. You think, okay, hey, listen, we're going to go to game three. It's all set. This is going to be film. This is going to be everything we asked for. And then the Mariners come back. This team that hasn't played in the postseason in two decades miraculously comes back. One of the greatest postseason comebacks we've ever seen. And in a sense, that's because, you know, baseball is an emotional game. So one of the things I go to with this is how does that momentum carry over? Because we're talking about the perspective of two teams here. One, is this something that just serves as a driving force for Seattle moving to the second round? Obviously, we saw what happened to them in game one of the ALDS. But still, this is a team that has so much momentum. They have so much confidence. It could be something that, again, a little luck can spark everything. And then you have the Toronto Blue Jays, which, again, you know, this is off-season talk. But how do you recover from having that huge lead late in the game and then blowing it all the way? Because that's something that it's not going to get anyone fired. Obviously, they had an interim manager. Still, that's that has to be devastating for such a young team, a team that everyone has such high expectations for. And now it all ends. And it kind of it kind of surprises me that they were up 8-1 in the six, and then two guys who have been solid all season, Jonah Romano, Anthony Bass, they broke down and they allowed the tying and, and leading runs. Adam Frazier Broke the tie with an RBI double in the ninth. And it kind of surprised me that a guy like Jordan Romano, who has pretty much been a stud all, all year long, Anthony Bass, who they got at the trade deadline from the Marlins as well, has been a nice addition. But it, it, it kind of surprises me that like, two guys who have dominated all year long just break down. And for the Mariners, again, just to reiterate, reiterate what you said, their objective was to hit home runs, and they definitely exceeded that. Johanio so, Suarez got hot. Cal Raleigh didn't have a high, obviously didn't have a high average in the regular season. Did hit over twenty home runs, but those two guys kind of got hot. And for me, those Johanio and Kyle are my series MVPs. They combined for eight hits between the two games. And just to, just to add on to that, Carl Santana also, he didn't get the season that he wanted to. He's a veteran. He played for, played for the Royals. Then he came to Seattle expecting to get some time. He did did get his chance, and he kind of proved himself when he hit that three-run bomb to narrow the Mariners' deficit to eight to five. So I think... For the Blue Jays, following this kind of series where you were coming coming into the series, you were expecting to take the win, and you were not expecting to, to have the outcome that did. And I don't think the Blue Jays, I don't think the Blue Jays were aware that the Mariners, you know, the Mariners haven't been hot all towards the end of the season. And I think for the Blue Jays, it all came down to how would they react. And the Mariners got hot at the right moment. And between the two bullpens, it, it kind of all came down to bullpen. I think postseason baseball comes down to the strength and how deep your bullpen can go. 
So when two guys like Bass and Arano break down, then it's from there. It's that's it. Absolutely, and you know it's just and that's the one thing. Just because that's again, you know, I'm going back to that first episode. But we talked about the one thing that had more confidence in the Blue Jays bullpen than the pitching, than starting pitching. And what's the thing? I mean, Jordan Romano, he has a sub 2.3 ERA in over 100 career innings. And then the biggest moment, he just collapses. It's just, it's the freakiness of October, though. Heading over to the Phillies and Cardinals. Game one, Philly six, Cardinals three. I think this surprised everyone. When, when they Marmol brought in Ryan Hensley, Hensley who was already nursing a finger injury, and it apparently worsened when they brought him in, and I'm kind of surprised Marmol did make some very controversial calls and very arguable calls in this postseason. He brought in Helsley, who plunked Alec Bohm and then allowed four runs. Then he brought in Palante, who has zero postseason experience. And it kind of surprises me that they had Jack Flaherty warming up, who does have the experience. And, of course, Palante has been phenomenal all year long. But a guy like Jack Flaherty, who hasn't, who again, Hasn't been healthy, but at the same time has the experience in these types of situations. I think it was obvious to go to a guy like Jack Flaherty. So I'm kind of surprised that it ended in this way. The Phillies made a nice comeback. Yachty could have tied the game. He had runners He had runners on first and second. He was the tying run at the plate, and he struck out. But the Cardinals' bullpen completely collapsed and that game was the most surprising game for me i watched it from start to end and matt you know as a fan as a huge fan what does this mean to you yeah you know it's and it's one of those things because we you know people media baseball fans talk about this all year they talk about this is Pujols last year. This is Yachty's last year. And you know it in the back of your mind. And you know it's getting closer and it's getting closer and it's getting closer. And then it ends. And, you know, if you're quoting the office, Andy pitches, you know, you feel like you don't know when you're going in the good old days. But, yeah, it's just we know it's over and it's now apparent to us that, listen, Yachty Molina is going to go down as one of the best players in the history of baseball. And this is worth again, stretches over a century. You talk about him as a player. You talk about what he meant for Latin America, what he meant in the Dominican Republic. How many baseball players today look up to him and idolize him as we saw the home run derby. And now he's walking away. Now he's no longer involved in baseball. And that's just, there were generations that saw him and now he's gone. And then you talk about Yadi Molina. And again, you know, there can be debates. There can be, oh, was he really as great as people say at this catcher? He didn't deserve some of those gold gloves. Or, you know, he was overrated because he played for the Cardinals. We still saw greatness. We still saw 
a player who just did all the little things at catcher. A catcher who you talk about what those teammates think of him. They hold like they hold him in a high regard that we can't fathom. That's how much he meant to that organization. And honestly, if you listen to, you know, people close to the team, how they talk about Yadi Molina, it goes beyond the fact of like, listen, he's going to be a future manager, but it's not future, future, like five, 10 years down the road. It's, oh, he's going to be managing a team in like two years because he's just so smart. He sees the game like few others have in this game. He's cerebral. He knows how to command a clubhouse, and he just garners so much respect. So I think that's one thing. You know, it's disappointing that this career comes to an end. We can also say, oh, we're going to see Yachty in like two to three years as a manager, and that's kind of wild, and it's good that he won't be away from baseball for too long. So just to add on to what you said about Yachty, I think that guys like Pools and Wainwright who – have been together for forever. I think you can also say the same for them, that they'll be around for quite some time. So just to jump back into game two. So game two was kind of a blowout in terms of pitching, hitting. There wasn't too much production. Phillies 2-0 to zero to seal the NL wild card. Harper and Schwarber were the supporting factors in this game. Harper, solo bomb, and Schwarber with a sack fly. Austin Nola twirl six and two-thirds and six Ks. Michael Asamonte combined for a quality start, allowing just two runs. And another, another controversial move by Marmol. He put in Monte, which... At, at first glance, I did like that move. Monty has had a great year when he transferred to St. Louis. He pitched in the mid-twos, and his, his, ground ball, his ground ball percentage ranks 11th in the majors, and I'm assuming that when he put in Monty, he assumed that a double play was in order. There was runners at first and third, so I'm assuming that Marmol expected Monty to induce a double play, but that did not happen. Monty walks three batters. And the first batter he faces, he walks Bryson Stott. And luckily he did squeeze out of that inning, but he allowed a run. So um, I think the story for the Cardinals is the decisions that Marmol made. And aside from that, the Cardinals' offense was completely idle the entire series. They scored just three runs, and they ranked ninth in home runs. They ranked ninth in home runs in the regular season. They hit 197 home runs, and Juan Yepes was the only hitter to hit a was the only guy to hit a home run in the postseason. So it came down to just that the offense was the offense was just gone. The offense didn't do was completely non-existent the entire postseason. So. And again, a guy, when you're going up against Nolan Wheeler, who is arguably the best one-two punch in the NL, you're going to have a problem. Because if you're not hitting, Nolan Wheeler are going to get ahead of you, get ahead of counts, 
and it's not going to end well for you. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's where Philly, which I, I'm guilty of this. I underestimated that one-two punch, and it's how good it would be in that three-game series. Now, I would say as we move forward, five-game series, it might be enough. But once we get to that seven-game series, I think that's where we see you know, some of the questions with the rotation beyond those two really come to, come to a head. Okay, time to advance to the final NL wildcard series. And the most surprising to the baseball world, the Padres and Mets series. Evidently, the Mets fell short. The Padre, the Friars came in on top. But let's break down. To, let's break down the three game series. Let's let's find the loopholes and let's find why Buck Walters squad completely collapsed. Game one. Scherzer mirrored his disastrous start in Atlanta. Seven earned runs, four home runs, Profar, Machado, Bell, and Grisham. For the Padres, their pitching was quite dominant. Darvish, Suarez, and Garcia locked down the Mets' offense. And for the Mets' offense, who completely... Who didn't really make any they didn't do any damage to the Padres three pitchers in game one and I think something to notice a move by Buckshaw Walters at Carrasco and Tyler Walker were left off the wildcard roster and I'm guessing that it was to make room for guys like David Peterson guys like and others like Trevor Trevor May who can adapt to various scenarios, and you could put him in different situations. So I'm guessing that's why they made that move. And additionally, Eduardo Escobar continued his burg- his burgeon from the last month of the season. The last month of the season, I'm not sure many people know this, but he slashed 321, 385, and 596 in the final month. He collected two hits in that game, as well as Starling Marte, who joined the roster after nursing a finger injury. And those two were pretty much the only production from the Mets offense. Game two, Matt, what did game two look for you? Yeah, game two was really the only time where we saw the Mets lineup come alive. And you could say that for not just this series, but for the few weeks prior. And, you know, I mean, listen, Lindor went deep in the first inning. That was great. Gave City Field an early spark. And then the Mets were able to string together more hits. That You know, but this was honestly a pretty close game until things really broke open in the seventh inning, and then it was just a wrap. But again, like, the thing, and this is the issue with the Mets, is they delivered that big game. They made, they helped the fan base think, okay, this is the game where it finally gets the lineup back on track. This is a game where, listen, we're going to get the runs we need. These guys, we're going to get the timely hits. It's not going to end in these own so many strikeouts and ground and two double plays. And game two provided that spark. And then we know how that went. As Additionally, game three. 
the Mets fan base gets informed that the San Diego San Diego Padres have dismantled the Mets and Steve Cohn's endless money supply did not show up this season. They're hoping in the offseason they're hoping to re-sign Jacob deGrom. But if you take a look at game three, the Mets completely I think for the I again like you saw how they're you saw in game two, you know, where the Mets offense kind of gave the fan base a sense of security that you know, look at look at us, you know, we're finally hitting, we're getting ahead of counts, we're hitting at the right times. But game three, Musgrove shut them down. He went seven innings, five Ks, and then I don't know if you saw this, but I saw Buck Walter come out because he suspected that Musgrove had some sort of substance on him. I don't know, Matt, if you saw that, but that kind yeah, of but the checking. The checking the air thing, I just listen. I, I obviously, after the series, Showalter texted Bob Melvin, you know, to clear the air. But I'm sorry, that just doesn't sit right with me. I mean, they Joe were Mus- patting him down. <laughs> Joe Musgrove isn't some scrub. He's been phenomenal for most of the year. He earned that huge extension he got from the Padres. And then to just be like, oh, you know, I'm kind of suspicious. Maybe he's, you know, cheating. Maybe he's in foreign substance. I mean, come on, Buck. Buck Showalter should be better than that. But listen, I mean, it feels like reaching for excuses on a night when his lineup got one hit. One hit at home in a do-or-die game. Yeah. So I think if we can derive a few takeaways from the series... It's that the Mets left 41 men on base. They went 4 for 23 with runners in scoring position. And that their 1-2 punch in Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer were not what they hoped for. DeGrom obviously only allowed two runs. He struck out eight. Scherzer, again, allowed seven home runs. Allowed seven runs, four home runs in that game. And... I think that that Atlanta series kind of threw the both of them off. And I'm not sure what happened exactly, but this was not what the Mets had hoped for. And Buck Schwalter could only hope. Oh, no. I was just one thing I would say is you mentioned the Atlanta series. New York got punched in the mouth and it couldn't get back up. It was shaken confidence wise, and that carried over as they blew that lead and then into October manic proof costly. But the one thing I will add also is there's so much focus on the Mets and with, Oh, Decrom didn't come through. Scherzer really didn't come through, you know, spending all this money. You know why they're the season ended early. You know why this didn't work out. It's because at the trade deadline, when there was an opportunity to add an impact bat, someone to put in the middle of the order, someone to strengthen this. They decided, you know what, we're going to keep our top five, top six prospects, and we're just going to stand pat. And we're going to settle for the Darren Ruffs of the world, who couldn't even make the postseason roster. 
I'm sorry, but once you kind of sit back and do nothing, that's more on you than the players itself as an organization. We can't forget Danny Vogelback, though. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's Danny. Let's not torment him here. Okay, so for the Padres, let's take a look at how and let's take a look at what the Padres can take away from the series. I think an unsung an unsung MVP of the series goes to Trent Grisham, who hit five hundred between the three games. Again, you Darvish was unhittable. They couldn't get anything off him. Musgrove was locked was locked down. Blake Snell did struggle. He walked six in his start and was pulled after he pitched ninety. He threw ninety pitches, and that was the one loss for the Padres. But overall, this series worked out quite well, and I think for Bob Melvin. He oriented this very well, and he kind of put in the right pitchers at the right time. He used Josh Hader. Josh Hader made amends. He went one. He made one appearance. Shut out baseball. So I think overall for this series, the Padres just played better baseball. Yeah, and uh, – you know, San Diego, they have to feel good about this because obviously we know what's happening. I mean, this playoff appearances have been rare for them. Advancing the postseason has been exceptionally rare for them. They got this monkey off their back, but now there's the next one that's taking on a Dodgers team who completely dominated them in the regular season. And by the way, score update, just so the good listeners know that we are doing this live during the postseason. Big seventh inning. For the Atlanta Braves, who now lead 3-0. So he might be split in a 1-1 series in that. Yeah, I think I was just taking a look at the Dodgers series. Max Muncy just hit a home run to take a 2-1 lead over the Padres. So that's something to keep an eye on. And tomorrow, weather permitting again, the Yankees will go up against the Guardians. Nestor Cortez against Shane Bieber. And at 3.37, the Mariners and Astros will go out for Game 2. It will be Luis Castillo and Framble Valdez. Okay, so, Matt, before we wrap this episode up, I wanted to make a few predictions for what remains in the ALDS. We know that a series like the Yankees-Guardians, who... The Yankees are the clear favorites. But again, you you take the Phillies you take the Phillies Cardinals series, right? The Phillies, the Phillies were plus 115 according to DraftKings while the Cards were minus 135 before the series and look what the outcome was. The Phillies took the series. So Matt, let's let's make a let's make a few Let's make it. Let's make a few predictions. Let's be bold here. So, for the Dodgers and Padres, I am going to take the LA Dodgers. For the Phillies and Braves, I'm really liking the Phillies 
but the Braves have a three nothing lead right now. I think that their their roster is they have the depth and the rotation and their bullpen. So I'm gonna go with the with the Braves, Astros and Mariners. I know this is crazy. I'm kidding. I'm gonna go with the Astros and then Yankees and Guardians. I'm gonna take the Yankees. Matt, do you have any bold predictions for me? I have several, and you know how these are going to work out based off the last round, which so I'm going to get all of them wrong. So if your team that I'm picking against, congrats on advancing to the championship series. It's a huge accomplishment, and I will accept all checks in the mail. With the Padres-Dodgers series, I just... Listen, it's a closer game now. It's now tied 2-2. But I still think the Dodgers are going to take this in a sweep. I mean, this is a team that won over 110 games. This is the best team in baseball in every single metric. I think they're going to take it in a sweep. Three games, the California series ends. Dodgers go to the NLCS for the 15th time in 10 years. And then moving on, listen, the Phillies, I I respect. They surprised me. I thought they were going to be an early Round one knockout was going to be especially close. They came out on top. They win game one against the team that looks like another world. It could win World Series second in a row in the Atlanta Braves. But I'm still, I just, I like the Braves pitching in a five-game series more, and I like their more well-rounded lineup. So I go Atlanta in in the distance, I will say. I'll say it goes to game five and then playing at home besides it. And the American League, I don't. I don't have anything too sexy, unfortunately. I mean, I think, listen, my original prediction from the beginning was that all four teams, round seed one, seed two, both advance, and the wildcard teams all don't make it to the championship series. And I'm sticking by that, but I will say, I'm going to say this is bold. I'm going to say three of the series we're talking about now end in a sweep. So that means Strohs, after that Jordan Alvarez home run, by the way, one thing I want to add on Jordan Alvarez before we wrap, because I'm going to have the Yankees sweeping. I'm going to have the Mariners getting swept out by Houston. Jordan Alvarez, I'm going to give you this. April or June, slash line, 316, 412, 658, 200 weighted run created plus. That's in Aaron Judge territory, 23 home runs, 1,070 OPS. July, early August, you know, he dealt with a hand issue not only to send him to the injured list for two weeks, but again, it's a hand issue. It's a wrist issue. Those things, they impact you as a hitter. So I'm wiping out August because he needed that time to recover to get his stroke back. September, October, close out the regular season. Here's a slash line, 355, 440, 677, 212, weighted runs created plus. Only struck out in 16.5% of his plate appearances. 323 isolated power. 1.118 OPS. And again, he just hits a walk-off for game one. I think, because, listen, I, I won't say how far I have the Astros going, but I think by the end of the World Series, we're going to talk about Jordan Alvarez as the best hitter in baseball. Not best player, not best outfielder, but the best hitter in baseball. If you take away his... If we take away the time he spent on the IL, and if he was active during that time, I think everyone would put him up there with Judge, and he would definitely compete for AL MVP. I don't think as 
an overall player and as an individual, he would have he he would have undermined Judge, but it definitely he definitely would have made a run for MVP. And next Tuesday, next Wednesday, whenever we record our next episode, we will be immersed in the ALCS. We're hoping, I'm hoping that the Yankees will advance. And that's likely what we're going to be talking about. Let's hope Yankees, Astros, Dodgers, Braves, those are the predictions. And we will see... You guys next week.